Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent forth your word and that that word uh, has been like a light shining in the darkness and overcoming it. And sending forth your Son, uh, the work um, of flourishing, the work of life, the work of salvation, uh, these things have um, not been done in vain. These things from above, these things of light and life, um, these things that are um, according to your will and um, established even before uh, the world was, was established, they have come to pass. We have seen them, them, we testify to them, we are learning to love them. We ask that you would continue this revelation here today through the reading and preaching of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to hear it rightly, that I would preach it rightly, and that by it we would come to know and love you more and more. We pray this in the name of the word of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, we just sang from Luke 1. Let's hear a little bit more of Luke chapter 1 now. If you would uh, turn your attention with me to Luke chapter 1, 26 through 27, or 37. Luke 1, 26 through 37. As you know, I've been preaching through Titus, um, and I, I'm looking forward to returning there um, at the new year in January. Um, this week, I'm going to preach here on uh, the birth of Jesus foretold. Um, Pastor Sherrard, Stu Sherrard, is going to be preaching next week um, while I visit some family. And then the following week, Christmas morning, right, we'll all gather here uh, for worship and um, hear about the birth of Christ, foretold and then revealed. Our Lord, come. Let's hear God's word. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, has also conceived, and this in the sixth month, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. Please be seated.
Well, in this passage, God reveals to us the identity of Jesus. God reveals to us the identity of Jesus. Who people are matters a great deal. Right? We talk a lot about knowing each other, um, even knowing ourselves. Uh, sometimes there are surprises in this, right? There's a lot of um, literature and movies in which the great reveal is the identity of, of a person, right? Luke, I am your father. <gasps> right? These sort of, these, uh, there are stories in which the whole premise is built on who someone is or the relationship between these, these things. I have a friend who um, later in her life uh, found out that she was adopted. I have known people who thought their friends were one way and they turned out to be another, sometimes much worse than they thought, sometimes much better than they thought. A lot of times when we um, get close to people um, in marriage and friendship, we come to discover things about ourselves to even know who we are in ourselves, to know ourselves is, is not necessarily an easy thing. And so if we don't fully understand our friends, our spouses, our coworkers, even ourselves, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise to us that we don't fully understand Jesus, that we have misunderstandings about him, that, that we don't know him fully, that we don't appreciate him fully, even if we've known him for a very long time. This shouldn't be a, a controversial point, I think. I think it would be a very prideful thing to think that while not understanding myself, I can fully and easily understand Jesus, who is the Son of the Most High, who is born of a virgin. I mean, things that are mysterious and wonderful and in some ways impossible to understand, at least as a finite human being. The good news is that God wants us to understand who Jesus is. God wants us to know him and to grow in the knowledge of him. We all have misunderstandings. We all have blind spots. We all have things that we don't fully appreciate and fully trust. And so God gives us his word. Like a friend, he tells us about himself and reveals himself to us truly. And he's a friend that we find out is much better than we thought. The more that we come to understand him, the more that we come to know him, the more we appreciate him and even hopefully praise him and trust him and love him. In a passage like this where Jesus is revealed where this son that is to be born of Mary is revealed, who he actually is, who this child will be, we are reminded and persuaded and taught, uh, perhaps for the first time, perhaps in a new way or in a greater way, who Jesus is. And it's my prayer that if you already know who Jesus is, if you already follow him, that you the end of this sermon, at the end of our service today, we'll know him better. We'll love him more. And if you don't know who Jesus is, I'm very, very excited to introduce him to you through this passage here in Luke. So let's consider God's word and consider the ways in which we come to know who, who Jesus is. 
Well, just to recap what happens here, Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, is sent. And I love how he's sent, just as a side note. He is sent from God, and Gabriel didn't just wander around in the world, right, with a sort of vague message, not sure who to send it to. It's very specific. Gabriel is sent from God to a city in Galilee. Its name was Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. It was this sort of heavenly perspective, and then just zoom, zoom, you know, like, um, you know, a map, right, on your phone. And you're zooming in, Galilee, Nazareth, Mary, <laughs> right? And there she is, and Gabriel comes to her. He comes to this very specific person on whom the Lord has shown his favor. He's going to greatly bless her. He has bestowed his grace on her. And he comes to her, and he says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. It is a, mes- it is a message right away that to us, at least in hindsight, sounds like good news. It seems that to Mary, it, it wasn't received exactly that way at first, or at least she didn't know how to receive it. Um, we read that she was greatly troubled at hearing that. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. It says she was, she was troubled at that saying. And she tried to discern what kind of greeting this would be. Um, this, um, you know, trying to think, well, you know, why would she be troubled? Um, perhaps there are other explanations, and I'd love to talk to you about this. But my, my best guess is that uh, she felt like I kind of feel when my kid's school calls. <laughs> you know, hello, Mr. Chelpka. Hello? <laughs> why are you calling me? <laughs> right? There's this sense of, uh, is there something wrong, right? Even though there might be uh, a greetings and we'd like to talk with you for a moment, you sort of take a deep breath and you wonder, oh, what's about to happen? Or the doctor's office or the bank or, uh, you know, this is the police department. We're happy to, we'd like to talk with you for a moment. Yes? What kind of greeting might this be? I think this happens when, when we are under the authority of others and we're submissive to them in some way or another, right? When an authority figure comes and speaks to us, we, we wonder uh, what kind of message this will be. Even if it's a greeting uh, and a powerful one like this. All the more so when it comes to us from the Lord God, an angel coming to us with the authority of God. Even with this, this good news when we come, cl- the closer we come into contact with the Lord, whether it is through his servants like this, through his word as we read it throughout the week, the closer we come to him, the more we understand him, often the more we feel the weight of our sins, the more we realize how different we are from him, how awesome and holy, how set apart he is. You remember Isaiah when he was caught up into the heavenly places, right, to receive this calling to, to be a prophet. He, he says, woe is me. <laughs> right? I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. When, God, when Moses uh, came to the burning bush, he was told to take his shoes off for he was on holy ground. The message to her was good news, though. And God, in his grace, reassures her. And he says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. 
Maybe some of you find yourself afraid of the good news of the gospel. Yes, you know it's good news. Yes, you've heard amazing grace. You, you know those ideas. You've thought about that. But when you, when you think about the God of all universe, the God who has given the law, the God who requires all holiness of, of us, coming to you and saying, I love you and I want to be close to you, maybe there is something in you like it was in Mary. Maybe there's some fear there. Well, the Lord says to you what he says to Mary, do not be afraid. When he comes to us in his grace, we don't need to be afraid, but we can boldly and confidently embrace him and the good news of that message as it comes to us in Christ. And that message is now declared to us in these following verses, particularly through a set of identifications or names. Maybe you heard the first one, you shall call his name, or his name shall be, or the name of him will be uh, Jesus. But there's actually a lot of identifications and callings um, in this passage, and I want to go through those with you now. And as we do, I'd encourage you not to be afraid, um, but to trust and praise and rejoice. The first one, the first thing that we hear about Jesus is that Mary will bear a son. This is what he says to her. She shall have a son. This teaches us that Jesus is a human being and not a generic human. I can't even imagine what that would be, right? A generic human, um, some sort of human form. Even a human form wouldn't be human, right? Because a human has... An identity. A human has a personality. It's not just a, a blob or a mannequin or a robot or something. There's no such thing as a humanity uh, in an individual form. There is only, as a creature, there is only a human being. And that's who Jesus will be. He will be born of a specific human person, Mary. He is Mary's son. He will be conceived. He will be born. He will be named, just as all of us were. And this, the, that Jesus is fully human is confirmed by many, many other passages of Scripture in many ways. I'll give you just two this morning. John 1.14, we read that the Word, a way of describing Jesus, was made flesh. Flesh. And Hebrews 2.14 he also himself likewise took part of the same. Same what? Same nature by partaking of flesh and blood like you and me. So Mary would bear a son. Not a mannequin, not a robot, not an idea, not a feeling. A son. A son with a name. He was a different kind of man, though particularly, as we see here, in his birth. His birth, though he was truly human, was a miraculous birth. Now, as you all know, normally human life, and as Mary knew as well, human life is produced through the joining of a male and a female. And God produces children this way all the time, right? There are billions of us, right, that he has produced this way. He uses normal means according to his normal created order. 
But just because God uses normal means and we are produced according to our kind in a normal way, that doesn't mean that God is restricted to that, right? He's God, right? He can use normal means and normal operations, and he can use extraordinary means and and extraordinary operations. He does that, for example, with Elizabeth, that we read, in her old age was barren. She wasn't able to have a child, and yet God produced a child in her, um, a miraculous thing. Yes, still the joining of male and female, but past an age where that was possible for her. We have other examples of that in Scripture as well, right? Sarah um, was unable to, to produce a child. She laughed when she heard that she was going to have a baby, me, in my old age. I don't think so. And yes, she did. Right? God uses normal means, but he doesn't have to use them. He's God. He's not bound to them. And we have actually other examples of human beings produced outside of normal means, even outside of the joining of male and female. Who am I talking about? Yeah, Adam. Adam, a real human being out of which all of humanity came to be, was formed out of what? Dust. If God can form Adam out of the dust of the ground, surely he can form a a child in the womb of Mary out of whatever he wants. I don't know exactly what he used or how he used it. He doesn't tell us. But he did it, and he certainly can. And just as Adam, and we might add Eve as well, who was formed out of a rib from Adam's body, Just as God can produce the beginning of all humanity and all of humanity flowing from these two very real human beings, he can do it again. And he does in Jesus. This makes Jesus different than John, different than Isaac. And it marks him as human like Adam, but also kind of a new Adam, (laughs) Right? Jesus becomes, he is marked here as as this one who has this miraculous birth, as one who represents a new humanity, a new beginning, who will represent a new humanity, a new beginning. And Scripture actually talks about Jesus this way. In Romans 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15, he's called a second Adam, and he is compared to Adam in, in various ways. We'll save that for another time. The point here is just now that Jesus is truly human and he is born in this, and he becomes human in this very miraculous way. It shows us his place and his importance in the history of the world and it reminds us that God is at work. Next, we come to his name, Jesus precious, wonderful name of Jesus. Now, the name of Jesus, like his humanity, is both ordinary and special. It's a Greek version of Yeshua or Yashua or Joshua, a common Jewish name, common, used frequently. We see it in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. We have lots of examples of it outside of Um, outside of the Bible as well. But though it's a common Jewish name, still used commonly in various forms uh, um, today, 
Um, Joshua included Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus, and, and many, many others, many other versions of this. It's also very special. Right? Even though it's a common name, it means Yahweh is salvation. And that's a very special thing. He is given a name that points to his significance. He will be the savior of his people. It also points to the one on whom he, the, probably the most famous Bible, or uh, Joshua in the Bible, and jo- the most famous, uh, other most famous Joshua in the world, the Joshua of the Old Testament, who would bring to completion that work of exodus of God's people. He would bring, Jesus would bring us out of darkness, like Moses brought his people out of Egypt. But he would also bring his people into the promised land as Joshua did. Moses died before entering the promised land. Joshua took that ministry and that office of Moses and continued it on. Jesus does both. He is both the Moses and the Joshua And that includes, by the way, perhaps the thing Joshua is most famous for, which is the defeat of the enemies. The salvation that comes, Yahweh's salvation, the salvation that comes would would come and demonstrate a, a power over the powers that are arrayed against God and his people. We read in Colossians 2.15, for example, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in himself. Isn't that amazing? So when you think and you read about the Old Testament, when you read about uh, the battle at Jericho, right, for example, and the walls came tumbling down. Right? And you think about all of the different battles that Joshua fought and the way that the enemies, when, in the hand, when Joshua was in the hands of the Lord, they just fell, they fell. They were, it was like he almost had to do nothing. <laughs> Blow the trumpets of judgment. and Right? Same thing. When Jesus comes, he comes oftentimes in surprising ways. He comes in weakness. He comes in humility. He comes and he just conquers sin. He just conquers death. He conquers the devil. It's amazing. So this is Jesus. This is Joshua. All right, next we come to verse 32, and he will be great. Megas is the Greek word. Mega, right? He is great. He will be great. He will be called great. This greatness here most likely refers to his preeminence in all things. Of course, according to his divinity, we read that John, right, his cousin, who is prophesied about here as well, once he is born and comes and becomes John, right, uh, the Baptist, uh, uh, later on, that, that prophet, John, speaking about his cousin, says in John 1.15, we read, John testified about Jesus, and he cried out, saying, this is he of whom I said he who comes after me has a higher, a greater rank than the one than I. Why? Because he existed for before me. John, his older cousin, by six months or something like that, says he existed before me. How can he say that? When he knows full well 
as his mother and his aunt would testify to that Jesus was conceived after himself. Because he knows that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was sent by God, who is God, who came to take away the sins of the world. An amazing confession of faith on behalf of John the Baptist. Jesus is great according to his divinity. He is God. But also according to his humanity. People picked up on this, we might say. John 8.53, naysayers say, Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? People perceived his greatness in, well, all kinds of ways. His miracles, his teaching, he spoke with authority. Um, uh, The way in which he, he loved and cared and pitied. The wisdom with which he carried himself and lived his whole life. Who is this Jesus, they wondered, and that greatness of him would be made known. Jesus prophesies in Matthew 12, 48, and he says, the queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He's referencing this time when the great King Solomon, the son of David, was visited by by, uh, the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba comes and she's amazed at the wisdom of Solomon, the greatness of his power, the, the, the extent of his wealth, the extent of his wisdom. She's just blown away. And Jesus says, she will rise up with this uh, generation at the judgment and she will say something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus will be shown to be the great one, the greatest one. And I love this passage. Later in John's life, um, after he is... Uh, um, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, later, uh, not in John's life, um, but in um, John the Apostle's life, um, he has this vision, the different John, and he says in Revelation 5:12, seeing, hearing the voices in, in heaven, he hears them saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He will be called great, not just by those here on earth, but the angels, Gabriel and others surrounding the throne of the Lamb, singing out with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, slain, died, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. All right, continuing on, not only is he great, our Jesus, he is called the Son of the Most High. Now, there's only one who is most high, and that is God alone. And God, as we know from the scriptures, is not most high by just degree, but qualitatively different, a different degree, a different kind of greatness. Why? He is holy. He is set apart. 
You, you can't just sort of extend humanity out and find to the highest point and say, okay, that's God. No, you extend humanity out to the highest point and then you make a hard line break and then you put something above that in a whole other category and you say, that's God. This distinction between the creator and the creature is not just a, a, a spectrum. God is not a creature. He is unto himself. He is the most high, above the heavens, above the earth, the one who made them and all that is in them, the one through whom all things exist and are upheld. And this one, this Jesus, is the son of the most high. Acts 7.48 says, The most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. Quoting Solomon, Mark 5, 7, a demon says, crying out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Jesus, as the son of the most high, we see is identified in these passages and in this language as both being what we say consubstantial with the Father, meaning that he and the Father are together with the Holy Spirit one God, one God, the most high God, but is also distinct from the Father in his relationship with them. How? Well, from here and other passages in the word, we read that he is eternally begotten. He is begotten of Mary, yes, um, according to his humanity, but according to his divinity, he is also begotten, but eternally so. Jesus doesn't come into being at some point in time. He always is coming. Uh, he is always being, in some sense or other, of the Father, eternally begotten. It's difficult for us to understand these things because we only know things in the sense of time. And so our language here meets its limits. And we are simply trying to express the, the, the language and the grammar that God himself has revealed to us, that we might praise him and that we might know him as we ought. That we might say, at the bare minimum with the demons, that Jesus is the Son of the Most High. And hopefully even more than that, put our faith in him and trust him and love him as the Son of God. Finally, and I'll conclude with this as we think about the identity of our Savior, Jesus, Son of Mary, a, a human, a divine, great that he will also be, he will also, um, he will also be the son of David. We read that he um, here, and this is verse thirty-two. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Here, uh, the. I almost said prophet, but that would work, right? The messenger, this prophet, this, this one who comes to speak the word of the Lord, angel Gabriel, he brings 
to our minds various passages in the Old Testament in which a certain person is promised. Um, Particularly, a son of David who would be given a throne that would last forever. You remember David wanted wanted at one point to build a house for the Lord, a temple, and the Lord said no. However, I will establish your kingdom forever through a son of yours who will build a temple for me. And, and And if he obeys me and if he follows me and if he does all that I have called him to do, of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, Remember Solomon that we spoke about a moment ago from the queen of the south, uh, queen of Sheba? It seemed for a time that Solomon would be that one. He was a son of David. He built a temple to the Lord. He was great in so many ways. But he did not follow the Lord in every way. In fact, in some very significant ways, he fell from the Lord. And from those sins, generation after generation of Israel fell. The house of Jacob was eventually exiled. The temple was destroyed. The Holy Spirit that overshadows Mary here lifted up out of the temple and left. And God sent his people away, this land which Joshua had brought them into, now they were exiled from. Some ways the scripture speaks about it as the land vomiting them out. It's a pretty graphic image. For those of you who may have been sick lately, right, in your bathrooms, feeling very uncomfortable, it's a gross thing. It's a thing that you want to end, and that's how the land is pictured, just expelling, forcefully getting rid of this vile thing that was inside of it. And what was that thing that had to be expelled and ejected? The house of Jacob, the kingdom of Solomon, David's people. For a while, it seemed as if all hope would be lost. There were times where hope was promised and it came in a way the people were brought back in, the temple would be built. But at the time of Jesus here, who's reigning in the temple? Who's, who's leading God's people? This one who is about to commit infanticide, Herod, and priests and rulers who are making backroom deals and, and, and caring only and all about political power and their authority and their place. This kingdom that was promised has not come about yet. And now... An angel is sent from God, comes to, this Mary, comes to Mary, comes to Joseph, comes to the house of David through this couple, and says to them, don't be afraid, because the son is here. Your son will be the son, and his kingdom will have no end. It also points to those prophecies in Daniel in which there was a kingdom that would come and smash all the kingdoms of this earth and be established as a kingdom that would be forever. That one, that individual who does those things is called in Daniel the son of man. And it's the chief way Jesus used to describe himself throughout the gospels. 
This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of David. He is the one to come. He is the one to establish the kingdom of God forever. The house of David, the house of Jacob, to be a light to the nations and a salvation to the world. He is the most high God. He is Yahweh. He is the one. He is the Joshua. He is the one who comes into the world to save and bring salvation He's the one who brings the people out of uh, the slavery of Egypt and the slavery of sin and slavery to the devil and sets us free. He is great. He is divine and he is human. He takes on flesh and blood and becomes great in the most unusual way by becoming a servant, by suffering. And dying. You would think of this one of who, this great Joshua, this kingdom, who, this king who would establish a kingdom that has no end, would come uh, through Mary's uh, womb out into the world in a blazing glory and just vanquish everything immediately. But he doesn't. He's born in a manger. He is suffered in this world. He suffers in this world, and eventually he's crucified on a cross. And God does that not to show that Jesus is great, is not great, but to show that he has the greatness of God. In Jesus, God confounds the wisdom and the power of this world by accomplishing the greatest things that have ever been done in the world through the weakest as most humblest ends. In Elizabeth, she's barren. She's not the most fertile woman who ever was. She's barren. And in Mary, she doesn't even have a husband. She is a virgin, and she says, how will this be? And how does God respond? He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then, regarding Elizabeth, uh, she will have this child in her old age, and then he says, nothing will be impossible with God. Jesus is who he is because he's God. And he comes in the way that he comes in human flesh, suffering, dying, and being raised, and being seated at the right hand through now whom now the angels proclaim in all his glory. He comes in this way to show us the greatness of God, to show us that our salvation does not come through anything except through him except through God, who is our salvation. So the question for you, now that you know who Jesus is, is do you, do you really know him? Knowing Jesus is not just about remembering the right things to say about him. As we've seen, even the demons are able to do that. There's no saving benefit in simply knowing what is doctrinally, what is, what is true, what is orthodox about Jesus. 
truly knowing him, in other words, benefiting from that knowledge, living in that knowledge, means not just remembering the truth, but living in light of it. But living in light of it. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's living in light of the truth. And somebody who knows something but doesn't really live in light of it will often say that they don't really get it. <laughs> right? And sometimes we don't really get it. We have misconceptions about who Jesus is. We have blind spots. We don't really appreciate the things that Gabriel says here to Mary and to us. But hopefully, in light of God's word today, we appreciate it at least a little bit more. And maybe for some of you, a lot more. Praise be to God. Isn't it a good thing to know these things? To know that something has changed in the history of the world. And to know that when we put our trust in him, we are saved. Knowing Jesus as the Son of the Most High, knowing Jesus as the one who became man, knowing Jesus as the one who saved us, and to trust him for that means that we have life in his name. My prayer for you is that you get to know him, this one of whom Gabriel speaks, of whom God speaks through his servant, that you would get to know him better and better and better. And trust in him more and more and more. Living wisely in light of the truth, in light of the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for sending your Son. Thank you also for giving us the light of this knowledge. That we might glory in him, that we might know him, that we might have salvation in him. We ask, Lord, that you would put the confession of his name on our lips. That we might confess our own sins and live, perfect, live, uh, live uh, perfectly toward you. This we cannot do on our own. And this we will never do even in this life. But one day we will. We will live and truly live in him, free from sin, totally free from death, totally free from the fear of the persecution of the evil one. For Joshua will have vanquished all. Lord, until then, we ask that you would help us to put our faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Let nothing else in this world and in our lives and in our hearts take his place. What could possibly deserve his place? Nothing and no one. Lord, strengthen in us, strengthen in us a zeal for Jesus Christ, to know him, to love him, and to believe in what is humanly impossible. When we consider our sins, when we consider our guilt, when we consider our shame, when we, lose, when we feel the pressures of the world around us, when our minds and our hearts torment us, help us to look to the one who is above it all and, who is, and yet who has come into this world to save us from it all. Lord, put our faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. In his name we pray, amen.